It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Trojans Buffalo, Colorado. The panel makes interim coaching adjustments. College football expansion. A good thing. Coaching candidates. How did last weekend's game results affect the coaching search or did it? Previewing the Utah game and predicting this week's Pac-12 conference game. Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to We Are SC's Inside the Trojan Huddle, week number six. Inside the Trojan Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with We Are SC columnists and staff writers. We start off with the pregame show. That's where we meet our panelists for this week. Mark Culkin, <laughs> We Are SC columnist who writes the much-viewed Monday's Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday's Takeaways, in addition to practice reports. Chris Arledge, Dual College defensive back and team captain, and We Are SC columnist who writes the popular column Musings with Arledge. Eric McKinney, publisher and editor in chief of WeRSC.com. And Greg Katz, I'm your moderator. I'm a We Are SC columnist. The obvious and the not so obvious, and IMHO Sunday. So we have done the pregame show. It's time to get to the first quarter. And we're going to talk about Colorado. Panelists, what do you believe was the outcome or results or thoughts on the Colorado game? I think we're going to start off with Mr. Arledge. And um, Chris, I think last time we spoke, you were emphatic that the Trojans were going to take a deep dive on this one. Uh, what did the Trojans do in order to avoid the dreaded Prince of Pessimism? They fought. I mean, my concern after Oregon State is that the team had quit because that looked like a team that had quit against Oregon State. Um, but they didn't quit. They came out against Colorado. They played hard. They didn't always play well, but they played hard. And uh, for the most part, they played well. The truth is that Colorado is a bad football team. And if USC shows up and plays hard against Colorado, they're probably going to win. And that's what happened. So we can't nitpick these days. Any win is a good win, and a comfortable win um, is even better. So it's hard not to feel good about the outcome of that game, even though there were some penalties, bad tackling, and other issues we might complain about. But I'm not a complainer, Greg, so we're not going to complain about that today. We're just going to enjoy it. Well, there's no question, Chris. You are not one to complain about anything. You're a, you're a good soldier, and um, we'll leave it at that. We all agree with that? Yeah, baby. Okay, well, that's good to know. All right, let's uh, move on to Mark Culkin. Now, Mark, I was a little concerned at the game because I know how much you look forward to that media meal uh, hmm. with the uh, main spread and the dessert tray. So did you have enough time to watch the game? And if you did, your thoughts on it, please. Yeah, I survived. And uh, like I said, plenty of sugar intake to keep the, the food coma from uh, taking over. But the, the game itself, you know, it, it got off to that – Typical slow start, three and out, and you're thinking, right, maybe Chris is going to be correct. They're, they're going to take it on the chin again. But, you know, he, as he mentioned, they fought. They played hard. Um, and 
as Chris also mentioned, Colorado is not a good team. Uh, offensively, they might be one of the most deficient teams I've seen in the last 10 years in this conference. And that, that says a lot. Yes. Uh, so the fact that USC had enough offense and more than enough defense to get the job done, you know, you take the win, the team had some smiles at the end, and baby step growth uh, coming home. They're 1-0, and now hopefully they can uh, get, a, get a win at home in conference. Well, that would certainly be nice. Now, Eric, you as well as Mark were at the game in, Pol- in uh, Boulder, excuse me. Uh, your thoughts as you look back now on the game. I'll go kind of a, an overriding offensive thought, overriding defensive thought. And and offensively, I thought Keen Slovis needed a, a game like that. It, w- it was good to be able to see him play a little bit like what, what we had come to expect from Keen. But, but I thought it specifically, and he talks about it, and the offensive coaches talked about it too, when it was time to run, they ran. When it was time to throw, they throw. There, there wasn't a, you know, when, when Colorado came out with five guys in the box, they ran the ball. I mean, it was almost 100% success rate on that, on, on making those decisions uh, before the snap. And I thought that was good, and that's something that Keaton has has needed to do, and the, and the offense overall has needed to do. He's needed to be able to just see that, go to run, and have success. Uh, and USC was able to do that against Colorado. Defensively for USC, Colorado's offense, like like Mark said, I mean, they're – Chris, there are bad teams lining up to be upset with you for lumping Colorado in with them. I mean, that that is a brutal offense that Colorado has right now. But they can run the ball. There are some running backs there that, that are good. There are some offensive linemen who, you know, can certainly just lean forward and, and push a defensive line. So for USC to do well in, in that bounce back kind of statement um, from what happened against Oregon State uh, against the run and, and controlling the line of scrimmage a, a little bit better, uh, against Colorado. I thought that was big. I, I also think overall, this is just kind of a setup game. It's what do you do now? Can you carry that momentum? I mean, we saw against Washington state, they came out of that game flying and then come home and, and it's the Oregon state game. So right now it's the, it's the exact same feeling coming out of Colorado flying. Now what Did, are, are you really set up to carry that against Utah and, and make a, another statement and get a win at home for the first time in a while? Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, the Trojans have not won two in a row since uh, last season, I believe. So that shows you kind of where we are at this point. Uh, I thought that USC fought. I agree with Chris. They fought, and that's important. And uh, they, uh, Are you okay there? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, they fought and they fought. And, you know, let's see if they can carry it on to Utah. If they can't carry it on to Utah, there's something wrong with this team, Beery. They need to have uh an, an examination at the highest level um i was uh, impressed that they ran the ball the way they did uh they were determined to do it and i thought it was effective i certainly helped keaton slovis i think uh he didn't get sacked at all in the game which i think was uh was great uh, i didn't see him take too many shots uh that we have seen in the past uh naturally i thought that london did his thing he was excellent i thought the defense did a good job you know that Colorado defense uh, had done rather well early in the season. So for them to be able to get yardage on it, I thought was a good stride. But uh, again, uh, Colorado is not a good team. They don't have a good offense. So there really wasn't a great deal of pressure that they could apply to USC, even in uh, Folsom Field. But a win is a win. It keeps hope alive. I'm sure that's what Dante uh, 
Williams wanted to make sure that the, the uh, light of uh, uh, optimism didn't fade. So they're still in it mathematically. Uh, and we'll talk about some other things later. So I think we've pretty much uh, ex uh, gone through this whole game. So let's go to quarter number two. Now, I'm going to ask you to put on your interim coach's hat and, and ask, uh, what changes at this point would you make if you're the interim head coach? So, Mark, why don't you start us off there? First off, um, I'm getting rid of the sideline fade pass to the smallest guy on the team. That play is being removed from the playbook forever. But at the same time, I'm getting more of the players involved with the playbook onto the field. Um, you know, we, we've alluded to this in the past, uh, you know, especially when you're playing against a, a bad team like Colorado and you're in complete control, you, you've got to be able to trust your younger players and, and start getting them some repetitions as well. And I don't think we, we've seen any of that yet. So as the interim coach, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, this isn't my team next year. I've got to get this team ready for whomever's going to be the head coach. And the best thing I can do is to get the team ready. And, you know, I just don't see a whole lot of that happening on game days. So, you know, first off that, um, on the defensive side, uh, more Max Gibbs, you know, he was in there for one play and, you know, I, I think Dante described it pretty well. You know, he doesn't move. He took up three players. He actually did his job. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the lack of speed to the outside for USC right now wasn't able to, to finish the job, but do something different, you know, and, and putting Maximus Gibbs at defensive tackle was something different. But let's, let's keep doing things different that, that might help the team instead of doing the same thing. All right. Now, Eric, uh, your thoughts, if you're the interim head coach now, what would you implement immediately? Yeah, I, I like, you know, playing younger players and, and bringing that in. You know, Rajon Davis has done a, a bunch of special team stuff, but, you know, not a lot defensively as, as a linebacker. And I think like you like Mark alluded to, you know, you, you start you want to start building those guys up. You know, we've seen Michael Jackson, the third out there a little bit, no catches yet. I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting to see some of these guys, some of the younger guys given a chance to see what they can do. Now, you're, I mean, the veterans aren't doing a ton right now in terms of the, you know, receptions and all that. It, it is Drake London and, and not a lot um, of other guys. And you're starting to see Michael Trigg a little bit, but I think you can go heavier with that. The, the other thing is, is penalties. And I, I don't know if it's too crazy to make guys do stadium stairs in the, during the game when, instead of just coming to the sideline. But uh, that, that's, that's got to be figured out. The idea of, oh, oh we'll get it figured out. Um, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to do that. It, it just has not worked. So there's got to be a, another, another level to whatever you're doing with that. I think you did nail it. And I think that that's a very important thing. You know, there's just way too many penalties. I mean, it was 125 yards. Is that what I, I recall? That is not the sign of a, a championship a situation. Anything else you want to add, Eric? No, the, I mean, the, those are kind of the, the two main things. I think it'd be, you know, like I said, interesting to see the young guys and then uh, figuring out penalties. I, you know, if, if I'm going to throw something else in, I, I love the idea, especially specifically against Utah, 
to just go to the running game a little bit, maybe more than you would normally just, just to, you know, test the offensive line a little bit and, and see really what you have. If, if that Colorado game was a fluke or, or if that's something where you've turned, maybe turn the corner a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I would do immediately offensively. I would put in misdirection draws screens, uh, anything to keep the defense honest, avoid the pass rush. Uh, like what we could see against uh, Utah when they just say, we're coming, just stand there, we'll get to you. We've got 48 to 50 chances to do it. Um, I would emphasize the running game. Uh, defensively, what really has bothered me was what's happened with uh, Drake uh, Jackson. I think he has no business going out and covering the pass passes in the flat. I put him on the edge along with Corey Foreman, if Corey Foreman's ready to go, and say, guys, you, you contain and you make sure that you get to that quarterback, okay? Uh, to put uh, Jackson out in space to me is he's guarding grass, you know, and, and every uh, def- uh, offensive coordinator would say, that's great. We, we keep guarding grass. You're not a, you're not a threat to us. Uh, so I, w- I would make those changes uh, immediately on both sides of the ball. So um, I think uh, also I would remind them, of course, that there's still hope that even though there's two losses uh, already in conference, uh, as long as you're not mathematically out of it, you're still in it. So anything can happen, and uh, hopefully it will. So I think we're going to move on to halftime. We got we got to go to Chris there because if anybody's going, oh, you know, if anyone's going I, outside the box oh, for, for no. ideas here, it's Chris. No, no, no. Chris yeah. has to speak. I have no doubt. I apologize. It, it is my right. fault. That hurts a little bit, Greg. Experience has gone full circle. It, it hurts for two reasons. One is because you you tried to pass over me. Two because you took you took my comment. Look, <laughs> I, I don't think this is I don't think this is the best Utah team we've seen in recent years. And playing Utah, the Coliseum is a is a whole lot different than playing Utah in Utah. Uh, it's a different football team. It's kind of like Oregon in that sense. They're a good 10, 14 points different on the road than they are at home. That being said. This is a physical football team because Whittingham's teams are always physical football teams. Um, we're down one quarterback, and uh, and Keaton Slovis is a little bit um, at least beat up and maybe a little bit gun shy about taking hits. I think we have to. I think screens and draws and misdirections are necessary. I would roll Keaton Slovis out of the pocket. I might do some max protection. My number one look. You say, well, if we do max protection, we're not going to have as many receivers out uh, out running routes. And that's true, but we only throw to one of them anyway. And he can catch it no matter how many guys he has on him. Uh, We may may even have to go the Stanford uh, route and bring in three tight ends, just have all of them blocked. Just keep Keaton Slovis from getting his bell rung. Because I'm worried, I'm I'm worried about that. If if the Trojans can't run the ball effectively against Utah, and they probably won't, not consistently then they're going to have to do something to keep Keaton upright. Um, and I don't think that Kyle Whittingham is going to make the same mistake he made last time, which is let's just see whether they can continue to throw uh, fades and, uh, and beat us with jump balls. I don't think he's going to do that again. Maybe he will, and it'll be a tremendous victory for us if so. Um, but I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to, uh, I think he's going to bring pressure. He's going to have guys back in, a, in, in, in maybe seven guys back in his own. 
uh, and forced USC to move the ball down the field consistently and try to avoid holding penalties, try to avoid false starts, and try to avoid getting Keaton Slovis killed. And, uh, and I don't know if the Trojans can do that for four quarters. So uh, we, we did see some screen passes last week. Uh, it looked pretty good. Uh, I think we need to go to more of that. It wouldn't be a bad idea to get a reverse, maybe a shovel pass or something else that just to keep the defensive linemen uh, from pitting their ears back and going after Slovis every down. You know, you, you hit on a good point, Chris. And also, I wanted to add, I did not understand in the game, and if I'm the interim head coach, when SC had that game one in the fourth quarter, middle of it to later of it, why Miller Moss didn't get some snaps and why they kept Slovis in there uh, for what purpose to the very end, it could have caused an injury of which would have really got second guessers going wild. And, you know, Miller Moss, uh, to my understanding, has only taken one snap. He did it in relief of Jackson Dart uh, for one snap uh, back against Washington state. He should have been able to take seven, eight, nine, ten 10 snaps in my opinion, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. I don't think SC would have scored more or less, but it would have given him experience because, as Chris pointed out, they are going to play a physical Utah game, and I think it would have been uh, a good thing if Moss had taken some extra snaps. So thank you for reminding me of that. All right, now we're all caught up. Uh, let's go to halftime. Uh, we're going to deviate a little bit from the Trojans. We're going to look at a national situation with the college football it's been quiet a little bit, and that is this expansion of the playoffs. So I want to ask you guys what you think of the playoffs expanding to eight teams or 12 teams or 16 teams, or maybe you don't want to expand at all. I don't know. So uh, let's start off with uh, Eric. What's your thoughts on expansion? I, I think it, it's got to expand from four. Um Eight, eight is fine with me. I'd, I'd listen to 12. I'd listen to 16. The, the only thing, I, you, you need the champion from each of the Power Five conferences. And then I, I'm okay if you're at eight, then you've got three um, at large. Again, if, if there's 12, you've got, uh, you, you know, you, you can go a little bit beyond that. I think at a certain point when you're talking about eight, and, and especially when you're talking about 12, uh, you, you cap the number that you can take from one league. Uh, it, it can't be something where, you know, you're, you're filling four spots, five spots with uh, the big 10 sec, even, you know, pack 12 in a different universe when, when we're talking about that. Um, but, but I think making a decision between, you know, let, let's take, for instance, the sec, you've got the champion of that. They go, now you've got to decide, did that team from the, the other division say, you know, say it's a, a West division team. Do you take that or was there a team right below the East division team that is actually your, your second best um, from that conference? So again, I, you know, I don't think you need 30 teams or, or anything like that in a, in a playoff, but four is four is not right. Um, eight gets to, to my minimum where at least the five power five champions are in there. 12 is, is probably right when you're talking about there, there being probably quite a few deserving number two teams uh in some of those those conferences again i i'm not worried about taking the third team uh from from a conference if you don't have a a clear claim as one of the top two teams in your conference okay let's get back to chris chris your thoughts on uh, playoff expansion i'd like to see 16 so we can get the entire sec in there um it would be disappointing to me if we couldn't get at least seven or eight SEC teams. And I think 16 allows us to do that. 
um, and, and maybe a Pac-12 team every third year. But I would go eight. If I can't do that, I'd go eight. I, I, look, in, in college basketball, the 11th or best 12 team could win a tournament. In college football, team number 12 is not winning anything. Um, uh, even team eight probably isn't going to. There's not that much depth. But at least eight gets you all of the conference winners uh, and no buys. And I think, I think that's probably the right way to go. And so I would go with eight. Any more than that, you're going to either have buys, which I think are unfair, or you're going to have, um, or you're going to have games where the, uh, the winner's not in doubt. And, and that matters in football the way it does not in basketball because your teams get beat up. And the more games you play, the more injuries you're going to have. And, and so it's not like a basketball game where – so what? Number one seed takes on number 16. It's not close, but it's still fun. Uh, I don't think that's true in football. So uh, I, would go with, uh, I would go with eight, and I would also cap it where no conference can have more than two teams. All right. You agree with that, uh, Mark Culkin? I think for the most part I do. I'm not going to belabor the issue too much. Um, I think 12 is probably the sweet spot in the long run, but I'm sure the NCAA likes to do things their own way. So they'll probably start with eight and they eventually do expand. And, you know, a lot of this, you know, argument or discussion is going to be, I think it's going to be a lot different once the Alliance comes into play and the SEC. And I, I think the big 12 are eventually going to form their own Alliance. That's where your scheduling pool is going to come from. So, you know, if you're not one of those 65, 68 teams, uh, your chances of even making, you know, that, 11th or 12th spot that, you know, Chris has alluded to, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, so I guess we can wait and see. I think we'll probably start with eight. You'll get your five power five champions. The SEC will get their de facto number two team in. And then, you know, everybody else can fight for the other two spots. All righty. Um, my personal opinion is, is I don't think eight is a bad number. Uh, I think 16 isn't a bad number, depending on how you want to do it, but I think it's too many. Uh, I think the number one criteria for me is you have to have the conference champions. The conference champions is not some subjective idea. It is, a, it is decided on the field. I'm about deciding everything on the field uh, up to a point. So I look at between 8 and 12, and I kind of feel comfortable with 12, I think it should be capped that you can't have more than two teams. Uh, I mean, the way we're looking right now with the four teams, uh, from, from what I can see, for the way the system is designed right now, you're going to see two SEC teams and possibly two 10 teams, Big Ten teams. And that, to me, is you can't cut out the – you can't have a national champion if it's not national. And what I'm saying is from the, from the first round, everybody, all regions of the country – in my opinion, should be representative. They would be if you take conference champions. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of evolution still going on with teams changing conferences. I understand that. But if you're going to have a national championship, bottom line to me is you got to have everybody included, which means champions. You want to bicker on at large teams. I really don't care. Uh you know, to me, bashing the Pac-12, it may be all true, but they are part of the country and they deserve a chance to get into the playoffs. And so I'd like to see them get an automatic first. So. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Without any further ado, I think we've touched them all. We will, by the way, later on uh, on a future show, we'll talk about how this affects bowl games and should it affect bowl games. Uh, But until that time, we're going to move on to the third quarter. All right. Now, this is kind of interesting, I think. Um, based on what we saw this last weekend, the game results, do you think that it's affected the candidates coaching search or did it? Now I use this as an example. We all saw what Cincy did to Notre Dame. We all know that Luke Fickle's name is uh, right up there with SC. Uh, we, we know that Mississippi got creamed by Alabama. Uh, Nate, Lane Kiffin's, uh, name has been thrown in there one way or the other. And we know that Alabama's offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, uh, was calling the shots against Mississippi. Now, you're welcome to deviate a little bit from what you saw this weekend's results, but did it make any difference, in your opinion, uh, the results of this particular weekend and how the coaching search is going to be? And let me, before we do that, because I'm going to, I'm, I got to get this before Chris takes it. I know he's going to go there. Urban Meyer. After the controversy he had this week uh, with the video, the social video and the alleged lap dance or whatever. Uh, I think uh, let's calm down here, uh, audience. Uh, I think that uh, Carol Folt certainly probably has got a little smirk on her uh, face uh, there in the uh, throne room of the uh, USC campus. So, uh, I, I am going to start off with Chris because I know that you'll have comment on this. Well, uh, I think that um, I think Urban Meyer is innocent. Um, I don't believe. <laughs> now, look, um, <laughs> he was a long shot anyway. Uh, guys don't leave the NFL in uh, after one season for the most part. We've seen it a couple of times, but um, and he has a pretty good situation there. With uh, he's going to lose a lot of games this year, but I think he knew that going in. He's got uh, a good young quarterback. Um, that's that's not going to happen. I, I want to talk about Luke Fickle for a second. Um, he obviously is having a tremendous amount of success. He's a good football coach. I think he brings exactly the right attitude. It's the attitude USC needs. This is an intense, tough guy who uh, who teaches the importance of toughness. Not only says it, but he actually he actually does it. That's what his teams are about. The question is, does he want to leave Ohio? Um, I think he's going to leave. Uh, it's not just, look, I don't care how good of a coach you are. You're going to have a window of opportunity where you can go and take the best jobs in the country and set yourself up for potentially a legendary career, make a lot of money. It may or may not work out, but if you stay where you are, things are going to go south. Jeff Tedford takes Cal from 0 and 11 to 10 and 1, one season, uh, turns him around completely gets fired a few years later because because Cal fans decided that they wanted to be 10 and one every year. They forgot they were, they were at Cal. Uh, Gary Barnett was at Northwestern. He was the hottest coach in the country. He decided not to leave after that Rose Bowl season. He waited a few more years. He ends up a Colorado, but that's not an elite job and it didn't turn out well. 
it's almost always a mistake to stay. You leave when it, you leave when you have the opportunity to leave. I think Fickle's smart enough to realize that. And so I think he probably takes a jump, despite the fact that he has six kids and he has a wife that likes living in Ohio. Fine. California is a pretty great place to live if you're making $7 million a year. Um, so I, I think he probably goes. And if he's willing to go, um, he looks like a pretty good fit to me. So that's my guess. I think that's, I think that's the guy. And um, I'm good with some of the other candidates. I don't know that anybody else did anything this week that would change my mind. I still think Matt Campbell is, is fantastic. Uh, Bill O'Brien is an interesting option. He has a lot of experience. Um, and I don't know that he's a sexy hire, but he'd probably be a really good one. Um, but, um, but, but we didn't see anything from anybody else that changed uh, many minds. I think Luke Fickle may have changed some minds this weekend. All right, Eric, did he change your mind? Yeah, o- only in that I was willing to send him a blank check and now I'd send him a blanker check. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how much that changes things, but uh, I, you know, it's tough to say a- any kind of determining factor came from one weekend. And certainly the people making the decisions at USC are not going, oh, well, he lost, so he's dropping down. I mean, it, it is not a board that's fluctuating like that in terms of who they're going after. It's, it's how you build a program, what you bring into it and, and everything that goes in behind the scenes of the, the wins and losses. Uh, when Luke Fickle has built a program that can do that to Notre Dame and, and continue to perform like this in big games and, and go toe to toe with these big teams, it, it shows you what he's been able to do to build that program. I, I think there's a lot of reasons that it makes sense. And certainly uh, there are a lot of reasons for him to stay in Ohio, to stay coaching Cincinnati. But like Chris said, there are certain jobs that don't come open all that often. Now the USC job has come, come open a lot more times recently than any of us would want it to. Um, but a cert- at a certain point, SC is going to find sort of their fit. And then that window closes uh, for, for anyone that who didn't, who didn't take it. I think, again, looking at this one weekend, you sure feel a lot more confident if Fickle ends up being the target and if USC makes a, a serious run at him. Uh, but no, I, I don't think we're at a point where um, let's you know throw out, oh, Baylor loses, and so now Dave Aranda moves down a little bit, or Penn State wins, and now James Franklin moves up a little bit. It, it's, it's, much, it's much deeper than that, or at least, at least you hope that the process is going to be you know, much, much deeper uh, than, than any weekend. But well, if you're talking about, you know, the, the, the perfect weekend um, for USC in, in terms of Fickle being a potential candidate, if he's going to beat anybody, you, you want to see him go beat Notre Dame. Well, what do you think, uh, Mark? Do you think uh, you agree with uh, our previous panelists? Absolutely. With every, almost with every point they made, you know, Chris was talking about, you know, you have to leave Ohio. Um, I agree, but then at the, let's say that Ohio State job eventually opens up, which it will. How long does Luke Fickle, you know, say, all right, Mike, you know, I did you a favor. You set me up for success. I came back and I'm hopefully setting USC up back for success. But my dream job is back in Columbus. You know, that's really the only risk with Luke Fickle, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think you can, you know, convince his wife and kids to enjoy Southern California. Um, you know, maybe get a helicopter ride, 
It might didn't work out for JT, but you know, it might work out for the Fickle family. Um, so yeah, he definitely impressed. When you can go into Notre Dame and, and win the way they did, it, it was just the physicality of it. And then when it looked like you know the Irish were getting back into the game, to have your team respond the way they did and basically cement the game and say, you're not winning at home. This is our house today. That's how Pete Carroll teams used to respond. So if you're looking for that type of, you know, coach, he's there. Um, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg because he holds all the leverage right now. USC has zero. Um, are we willing to take that gamble? I am, you know, it's not my money. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, did Chris Peterson say anything on the Fox pregame show that should change my mind? I didn't watch it. I didn't hear anything. Um, what about Bob Stoops? Um, James Franklin's name is always going to be floating around out there because he knows how to recruit and how to build programs. Uh, I'll tell you who I'm interested in all of a sudden. Whoever is Iowa's defensive coordinator, he's getting his name's getting scribbled on my list somewhere. So that, that's like one coach who caught my eye this weekend. And by the way, let's talk about that possibility that Luke Fickle would uh, would leave. Because I think I've heard that a lot, and I'm sure it is his dream job. I think it's really unlikely. Um, you don't see guys go to a top six to eight college job, do well enough to build a program, and then go somewhere else. I can't even think of an example of that happening ever. It doesn't happen. If you land at USC and you're winning the way Pete Carroll won, you're not leaving for Ohio State or Notre Dame or anywhere else. So I'm not worried about that. Guys may leave for the NFL. That's always a possibility. Sure. Um, and if you're winning a lot of games, the NFL is going to come stiffing around. But I'm not as worried about that as I am uh, as I am uh, having him convince uh, his wife that it's time to move. Um, but I think he can do it. I think he should. Okay. All right. Well, I'll throw my two cents into it. Uh, first of all, I, I think that uh, Fickle proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, like you've all said, no reason to continue with that conversation. Um, I know that Jim Trestle and his former coach, John Cooper, have told him this is a no-brainer. You have to go. You got to do it. I don't think he's coming. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he's coming. A happy wife is a happy life. I think she said it. She said it in print, basically, to the L.A. Times. Uh, I understand if you add enough zeros to a checking book, a check account, uh, you know, a lot of people say, yeah. But, you know, we lose sight that, look, he's, he's going to make a lot of money one way or the other, even if he stays at Cincinnati. Uh, his wife, they've got children in the elementary and junior high level. And when, you know, family is very important in the Midwest to he and his family. And they're moving into the Big 12. So I don't, unless he convinces his wife, uh, I don't think his heart would be in it. I don't think he wants to disrupt his children to, from going to 4-H uh, camps and that sort of thing. And that's a real consideration. So he's not coming, in my opinion. Uh, over the weekend, I thought that Kiffin, once again, was Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, got on the pregame there and made a, a little bit of a guffaw get your popcorn ready and all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Kiffin just, uh, you know, this is the biggest hire in Bones uh, career, period. I don't think he wants to hire a guy that got hired by Mike Garrett or whoever did the hiring. Uh, it wasn't Garrett, uh, but Pat Hayden, uh, whatever, whoever made the hire, they don't want to be stuck with that previous uh, person. 
So I don't think Kiffin is a logical choice. I think he's out. O'Brien, as Chris said, is an interesting choice. Uh, not a sexy choice, but an interesting choice. But I will say of all of them, until you hear them publicly say, the only one I ever heard say publicly I'm not coming was Urban Meyer. And I think after Urban's alleged escapade, he's definitely not coming. Uh, so no, Gus, Malzahn already took, Gus Malzahn took his name off the list also. He's, he's innocent. <laughs> oh, that's what he did. <laughs> well, obviously you're jockeying to defend him, so I'm going to let you, let you do your lawyer thing. But uh, yeah, I think until I hear anybody say uh, I'm not doing it uh, for public, uh, you know, on a show like Fox's pregame show, I'm not coming. Uh, otherwise, I think everybody would be in play. Uh, is there a favorite right now? I have a personal favorite. I've said it before, Chris Peterson. If he doesn't come, fine. Uh, but he would be my choice personally. So with that, let's get to the fourth quarter, the symbolic lighting of the Coliseum torch. Uh, we've got a game to play this Saturday night at 5 o'clock in the Coliseum. Utah is coming down with a big South Division crucial battle here. Utah is two and two uh, on the season. Disappointing, some would say, one and zero in the Pac-12 South. Uh, Eric, how do you see this game, and what's your view on it? I mean, are, are we going to really try to say that we have our fingers on the pulse of the, of this USC team this year? I mean, it it, it could be. I, I mean, honestly, it could be anything. Um, you hope that they again can take that momentum from Colorado and and come home and put it on the field against Utah. After what we saw against Stanford, after what we saw against Oregon State for periods uh, against Washington State, even kind of at the end of that first half against Colorado, just anything is on the table for, for USC. I think we'll maybe learn a little bit as we're at practice on, on Tuesday and Wednesday and, and maybe get in a sense for, for what they look like this week. But again, it's as it usually is in the Pac-12, it's more about kind of USC's state, and, and that's physical and mental as opposed to kind of who they're playing that Saturday. This Utah team does not strike fear along the offense and defensive lines like Utah teams in the past. I think they're still pretty good and certainly good enough to be able to run the ball and, and stop the run if USC doesn't come out with, you know, with at least their A-minus game uh, against, against the Utes uh, on Saturday. But, uh, you know, you, you hope, you hope, that USC figured out some things, again, being able to run the ball and, and with Keaton being able to kind of see the box and get in and out of the right plays to be able to get some things done uh, against Utah. But the idea of just writing Utah off after kind of the, the start they had, I, I think it's a little bit foolish because they've got, they've got some big guys they're going to be able to play that you know that they are going to be amped up for this game. I think it's true that they're a different team when they have to come to Los Angeles uh, but no, I, I think it's going to be a, another another challenge for USC, and they're really going to have to get up uh, for Utah. Mark, what do you think? What do you see? Yeah, you know, it, well, you know, Eric said I talked about it. Eric said it. Having a pulse on this team is 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 challenging. You know, you look across the line at Utah, and you know that they're going to be physical. You know that they're typically an older team, just type of players that you know Utah and BYU tend to have. But I see a Utah team right now that they might challenge USC defensively through the air. Um, that's, that seems to be where their skill positions are. Um, you know, they've got the tight end. They've got a few receivers. And 
you know, if if they dial it up the right way, um, USC is a little banged up on the edges right now on the outside. Chris Steele's healthy. ITS isn't. So you're you're. I think we counted what five five cornerbacks on the on the road trip. Um, so if they start to spread USC out a little bit, um, things could get interesting there. And you, you saw that happen in, in spurts and places. So my concern is getting the the team focused to play at home. They came home off the road. Some of them had smiles. Some of them didn't. You know, I look at you had the game in hand at Colorado. You would think that you would have maybe one or two plays specifically designed for a Katie Nixon to go home and kind of showcase his skill set. Have you seen USC coaches showcase any skill set besides Drake London? I, I, that's a rhetorical question. Obviously, no. So are you going to come home and you, are you going to see anything different? Uh, this team, with me, I'm looking for something different every single time because what they do is it's always the same. Last year, Keaton Soba survived Utah's physicality. Are they going to go with that same game plan? He, he played the whole game. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with this. The USC team is all over the place. I feel more comfortable when they're on the road than they are at home. And I don't know what to expect from this coaching staff. I guess it's the bottom line. They don't know how to use their players. All right. Well, Chris, what, what do you, how do you address it? You kind of mentioned it a little earlier in the program. Your thoughts on the Utah game? I think for the last few years, maybe five years or more, the rest of the Pac-12 has believed that if you punch USC in the mouth, they'll quit. We've seen USC play two teams this year, not great teams, but two teams that pride themselves on their physicality and their toughness, Oregon State and Stanford. Neither team is great. Both are decent. Stanford was good enough to beat Oregon or Oregon State, um, uh, beat Washington. Um, but they're tough, and they pride themselves on toughness, and they beat the tar out of USC. Utah is that kind of team. Utah is a team that prides itself on toughness. Utah thinks they are tougher than USC, mentally and physically. They think they'll come in there and beat up on USC, and USC will will. That's what they think. You know what? Based on what I've seen so far this year, I think they're probably right. I don't want them to be right, but I'm going to pick against the Trojans again just because until they actually stand up and fight against a team that has some fight, not a Wazoo team that has nothing and has a walk-on quarterback, not a Colorado team that the four of us could probably hold the 20 points. I'm talking about a real football team that really brings it. Until they do that, I don't believe in them, and I haven't seen it yet. So I'm worried about it. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, originally I had picked Utah to win this game in my preseason pick, and that was before they lost their quarterback who quit the team uh, because he didn't get enough playing time against San Diego State and took his ball and went home. But they replaced uh, him with uh, a Texas transfer and quarterback Cameron Rising. I think he's had a couple of games now to get his feet wet and get adjusted to it. They got a great tight end in Brant Keithy. Uh, they have a dynamite uh, special teams player in Britton Covey, uh, one of the best in the conference. They have some good running backs in Mike uh, Bernard, a freshman, and in the transfer from Oklahoma, TJ Pledger. Uh, so they've got people, okay, offensively. 
Uh, defensively, I think they're tough. Uh, they've got some uh, a, a very good linebacker in Lloyd, uh, Devin Lloyd, uh, an all-pack 12 performer. And they've got some athletes. Now, aside from that, I think 150% I agree with Chris because I think that they're going to come in here and say, forget about the scoreboard. Let's just see how tough these guys are because they will wilt. They will make turnovers. They will wimp out. And it's really about making a statement. And we know that uh, Kyle Whittingham's biggest statement is we're physical, we're tough, and we're disciplined. If they come into the Coliseum in that first half and establish that they're the tougher team, it's going to be a real tough game. This is really an elimination game for USC. If they lose here, forget it. Uh, you know, hello, uh, Jimmy Kimmel Bowl in L.A. somewhere. Uh, so this is a statement game for SC because they've played more conference games than anybody. This will only be the second one for Utah. And uh, it's going to be a, a tough situation for USC. It's going to be a prove-it. Uh, put up or shut up moment, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, transitions us to uh, overtime, which is our typical weekly uh, end of where we talk about our predictions for this week's Pac-12 conference game. So, guys, you're welcome, of course, to give me who you think's going to win. If you got a score, that would be fine. If you want to add a little uh, sentence or two to it, we're, we're, we're good with that. But it all starts off Friday night. Uh, Stanford will be at number 22 ASU. It's a 7.30 p.m. game uh, Pacific time on ESPN. ASU is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Do you think that's fair, Chris? That's too many points. I think, I think ASU probably wins. They have a home field advantage. Stanford is uh, – Stanford's okay, and they're only okay. So I think ASU wins, but I think, I think they cover. I, I don't think they're going to beat them by more than nine-and-a-half. Eric, what say you? Yeah, this, this is one of those Pac-12 games, right, where Stanford's coming off a big win and Arizona State's coming off a big win, and so they both find a way to lose uh, on, on Friday just, just for the conference. Um, I, I think Chris is right. I, I like Arizona State, um, but, you know, not not big, and, and that's kind of how Stanford likes things. Keep, keep it close and see what we can do at the end. Mark? Yeah, ASU, I don't know if they cover the spread, but, you know, they're one of the more physical teams in the conference as well. Um, you know, they'll hit you and they'll maybe even give you a little extracurricular activity afterwards. So ASU at home, Stanford after the big win. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with ASU, but I'm not going to discount the possibility of Stanford winning only because Stanford's going to be disciplined. They're on a roll. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, they're, they're not going to make a lot of risks. They're not going to take a lot of risks. I think that uh, ASU, it, this could be their year unless something happens with, uh, you know, Herb uh, Edwards over there in that uh, recruiting situation explodes in the middle of nowhere uh, to distract them. But I'll take ASU. But I, I, I don't know whether ASU is going to cover the points. I really don't. I think that uh, Stanford would give them a real run for their money. All right. Uh, moving right along here, we move uh, to Saturday, October 9th. Let's take a look at Oregon State at Washington State, 1 p.m. Pac-12 Network. Uh, Oregon State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, should they be a favorite, Mark? Yeah, that's an interesting line. Um, yeah, I think Oregon State's probably going to be too disciplined. They'll, they'll win. I, I, I like Oregon State this year. What Every time I watch them, they're like, 
man, they're doing what they need to do. They don't make mistakes. And you know what? They're always going to be the underdog perception-wise. So I know against Washington State, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But yeah, I'll, I'll take them on the road. Eric, you take them on the road? Yeah, I, you know, this again, if, if you're just picking bl- blindly based on the Pac-12, yeah, Washington State beats, beats Oregon State because that, that's what the conference does. Uh, I, I think Oregon State kind of knows – who they are right now. And, and they've turned the corner a little bit from being, you know, the, the scrappy team to being able to kind of control what they can control and, and do what they want to do uh, offensively a little bit better than, than they have in the past. So, yeah, I, you know, again, no surprise if Washington state somehow, somehow beats Oregon state, but uh, I'll, I'll go with Oregon state. Will you go with Oregon state, Mr. Arledge? Yeah, I go with Oregon state, but Washington state, Washington State at their place isn't going to be terrible unless they have to play the walk-on quarterback again. That Washington State team almost blew USC out. I mean, they were they were close to being up 21-0 early in that game. Uh, they just beat Cal. They're not terrible, but I think Oregon State's a better football team, and, uh, and this kind of feels like it's Oregon State's year. You go and win at the Coliseum. You win at uh, you win in Seattle. All this, or I guess it wasn't in Seattle. It was at home. But uh, you knock off USC, Washington, back to back years. That sounds like it's Oregon State's year. I'm I'm picking the Beavers. And I will pick the Beavers as well. I think that uh, Washington State's a funny team. They could come out and be really competitive uh, at uh, you know at home. But I think that Oregon State's really on a roll. I got to watch a post-game highlight inside the locker room with Jonathan Smith, who I think should be considered a second-tier candidate for the SC job, by the way. And he was anything but quiet and mild-mannered when he was in that locker room. Uh, he said all the things I would have wanted to hear. Uh, I'm not so sure that the two-and-a-half points uh, is going to be the difference. I think I could see Oregon State winning by a heck of a lot more, in my, in my opinion. All right. Now, speaking of opinions, let's move on to UCLA at Arizona, 7.30 p.m. ESPN. Uh, UCLA is favored by 17 points. Should they be, Eric? That's, I mean, make it 100 against Arizona, any team in the Pac-12. I, I, at this point, I don't think you can expect a whole lot uh, from, from Arizona this year. So, um, again, it, it would be very much UCLA to figure out a way uh, to lose that game, but, but I'll, I'll take UCLA. All right. Well, here it comes. Uh, Chris, uh, your comment on the uh, UCLA at Arizona game and the 17 points. Here what comes. I mean, I can't, I can't pick against UCLA against Arizona. I think, I think Orange Coast College would give UCLA a better game than Arizona. Arizona is a terrible football team. It's too bad we don't have that system they have in England with soccer where the bottom few teams just get demoted to the lower league. We could have just dropped Arizona a couple of years ago, and then we wouldn't have to watch them or talk about them anymore. Well, uh, Mark, do you think it's worth talking about? What is your call on this game, if you want to call it a game? Yeah, you know, just to be the contrarian and just to hopefully enjoy more UCLA pain I'm going to go with the upset. Arizona finds a way. Again, you know, UCLA got so much mileage out of that win over LSU. And as it turns out, we we knew LSU was not a good team this year. Um, You saw how UCLA lost to Arizona State. You saw how they gave up against, you know, Fresno State. Yeah, 
on the road in Tucson? Why not? I'm going to pick Arizona. There you go. That's what I show. A lot of guts. Yes. Yeah, you bet your... <laughs> Thank you for interrupting me there. Uh, I would. I do want to add that uh, if if Arizona does beat uh, UCLA, uh, I think Northern Arizona is going to apply for the Pac-12. I think they'll figure they're good enough to be in there. If any, they can come in last as well as anybody else can. So I think it's UCLA. They'll name, they should name the score. And if Mark Golkin is right, my hat will be off to you. And I think UCLA is going to have to move from Westwood to some island in the Pacific uh, that nobody's ever heard about for about a couple of weeks there because it's going to be ugly. My heart's not uh, really in it, but I just I can't give that school any credit. Last week you saw what I did. I put it on mute. So <laughs> your heart, your heart is in it because you're definitely picking with your heart, not with your head, Mark. There's no way that's a sound football call. I said I was being the contrary. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> All right, guys. So this takes us to the really big one, the elimination game, in my opinion. Uh, the Utah Utes at USC, 5 p.m. on Fox. USC is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Okay, Mark, you pulled the big upset yeah. for UCLA. What do you think is going to happen on Saturday night in the Coliseum? Yeah, I, I think USC is going to win in overtime. I, I have zero confidence in this team right now. Zero. And I, I'm saying that knowing that I will be seeing them tomorrow and talking to them. So um, I'm going to pick USC in a tight one. The goal, you know, Chris talked about it earlier. It happened last year. Let's see if USC can keep Keaton Slovis in the game the whole game. Um, otherwise, you know, Miller, Miller Moss will be getting those repetitions. We don't know Jackson Dart's status yet. You know, some have alluded to having him ready for this game. But you can't count on that. So um, it's going to be a tight one, USC, overtime. I'm not going to go into the minutia of why. It's, just, it's going to be one of those games. All right, Eric, we're going to go with you here. And do you see overtime? Or uh, what you know, do you see? The, the only thing I see, Drake London's going to catch a bunch of passes and, and for a bunch of yards. I mean, that, that's what's going to happen. Um, that's what he's done in virtually every game. Uh, this year, I, I think it's close. I'll, I'll say that USC figures out a way to win, um, but I, I'm, you know, maybe not going all the way out and saying overtime. But but I think it's I think it's tough. I think Utah does um, a lot of things that USC has had trouble with, and they've got like you you talked about him earlier, Devin Lloyd uh, in the middle. He he alone kind of makes it tough to to run and do a lot of stuff underneath, um, which again kind of hurts maybe what, what USC could lean on um, a little bit against Colorado, but I'm, you know, I'm ready for the Drake London show again. That, that's something that, that you could kind of count on uh, every week here. So yeah, I'll, I'll say a tight, a tight USC win. All right. So Mr. Arledge, you have some final thoughts, uh, any change of course, or do you think it's all Utah? Well, if, if we had 22 Drake Londons on this team, then, then I would pick the Trojans. We're not to the halfway point in the season, and twice I've seen USC just quit on the field. Twice in five games. So unless those guys got a heart transplant, I doubt if any of them pay attention to this show or pay attention to me, but I'm calling them out. Why don't you guys show some heart this week against a team with a pulse? They're going to come out and hit you in the mouth in front of your fans. They're going to try to embarrass you. You've already been embarrassed twice. 
Are you going to sit down and take it? I think you are because I've seen you do it twice. I hope you won't. I hope you'll look at the uniform you're wearing. I hope you remember that all of you guys were recruited because you're fantastic athletes and you came to a place because you wanted to win and you thought you could win championships. And you thought you could go to the NFL in order to do that. You have to play like a man Saturday. Let's see it. Well, you know what? Uh, that was very impassioned. That was very uh, to the point. And uh, I agree with you. I agree because I believe in physical football. I think if you cut off the head, the rest of the body dies. In this case, the head is physical football. Uh, I am not convinced that USC can do it for four quarters. I look at that offensive line. Uh, I look at the Utah defensive line. Uh, I don't think uh, that uh, Whittingham is going to play man-to-man and say, okay, Drake, go up there and you, you run the show. Uh, my feeling is, is that Drake uh, will make his catches, uh, but they will not be easy to come by. Uh, they'll probably try to rough them up. You know, I expect to see a lot of pass interference penalties. Uh, and, you know, as long as they don't go for touchdowns, uh, you know, I think the college rule for pass interference is ridiculous. Uh, 15 yards, if you, you know, guy tackles another guy on a long pass, they should do what the NFL does, put it at the spot of the foul. But that being said, um I just don't see them being able to physically do it, which sends out the alarm that Keaton Slovis is going to be under tremendous heat. Uh, and they know that. Uh, uh, Whittingham knows that. It's probably going to be the worst kept secret on the western part of the United States. Um, I think that uh, the offense that, that uh, Utah has could run the ball. And they've got playmakers in Kobe and Keithy, the tight end. And I will say that after the first quarter and a half, I think we're going to have a pretty good idea which direction this game's going. But I'm going to go out on the limb, and I think that uh, unless they prove it, prove me wrong, I hope they do, I'm going to pick Utah. Although I will say there is one person that could make a difference in the game, and that's Parker Lewis. Parker Lewis has not missed a field goal. He's nails. He's got a long, uh, long leg to kick, and if it comes down to that, that's going to be an SC's favor, in my opinion, but they got to get to the point where that is. So we're going to see. Obviously, the panel believes that, uh, you know, it could go either way if you look at it uh, two and two. So um, anyway, listen, I want to thank all the panelists, producer Jake Evans, and a reminder that USC returns to the Coliseum on Saturday night for a 5 p.m. kickoff against Utah. Game will be televised on Fox. And here's a big reminder for those of you that have not been been paying attention to the game and you're going to the game, all fans in attendance must show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for entrance into the Coliseum. So keep that in mind when you when you head to the Coliseum. Uh, next Tuesday, we'll review the Utah game. We'll talk a little bit about the home attendance uh, and the atmosphere, maybe some suggestions on how to spice it up a little bit more. Uh, a Pac-12 midterm review. A uh, very early look at the Notre Dame game, as well as selected topics and relating to USC and college football. So until next Tuesday, again, thank you. We are SC.com panelists. Thank all of you for watching and listening on a podcast. And fight on, everybody. SC!